Hello everyone, my name is Phil Friend and welcome to the latest Gear, Gadgets and Gizmos podcast in association with RIDC, the Research Institute for Disabled Consumers. This is the place where disabled people and their supporters talk about the stuff they use to get round some of the barriers their disabilities throw at them. So hello everybody and I'm delighted uh, this uh, podcast, this week's podcast to uh, say a very warm welcome to Shannon Murray who uh, I've known for some years now actually um, but never really had a proper conversation with her about the sorts of things she uses to get around the impairment issues and so on that she faces. So I'm just going to ask Shannon. Hello, Shannon. How are you? Hello, Phil. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about, about yourself, what you do, that kind of thing? Yeah, no problem. Um, so obviously I'm a wheelchair user. They may be not so obviously seeing as this is a podcast and people can't see me. Um, I'm paraplegic due to a spinal cord injury many, many years ago. And I juggle two very different professions. Um, by day, I work as a uh, business affairs manager um, in a legal team for uh, television companies. And also by day and by night, um, I work as an actress. Right. So it's two very contrasting jobs that um, have a lot of different demands uh, on a daily basis, but also kind of on an access basis as well. And you travel a lot? I do. I travel a lot for both jobs. So the acting work probably takes me further than the legal work does. Right. So, and that travel involves flying and those kinds of things, not just uh, Yeah, I fly. I I also have a lot of family um, in Dublin. So I fly to and from Dublin very regularly, probably every eight to 12 weeks. Um, So I'm definitely a frequent flyer. And primarily in London, I drive everywhere. Occasionally take taxis, but my main form of transport is driving. Right. And whereabouts are you based? I'm in North West London. Right. Okay. So, um, as you know, what we're trying to do with this podcast is to get disabled people to share their thoughts about the kit they use and the things they do to overcome the barriers they face. So what would be the first thing, Shannon, that you feel, I mean, that you rely on most, I guess, some kind of gadget thing that you use an awful lot? I would say the thing that I rely on most and that provides me with the most significant amount of independence and freedom is the hand controls on my car. Ah, Um, I started driving as soon as I could, which for those of you who don't know, if you have a disability, you can start taking driving lessons at 16 rather than 17. So I jumped onto that right away and it provided me with independence to drive to and from college, be out with friends. It was no longer relying on my parents or taxis to drive me everywhere. Because at that point, we were talking about 91, 92, the access in London for public transport was even worse than it is now, if you can even bear to imagine that. Still not great now. Um, so that was, it was a huge key in unlocking independence, freedom, social life. It was a game changer for me. Right. Now, let's go back a bit then. So the very first car you drove, what what was that? Can you remember? Uh, of course I can. I can remember all of them. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a petrol head, but I do like cars and I do like driving. Um, it was a black Volkswagen Golf. Very nice too. Was that a manual gear shift or an automatic? 
No, I've always only ever driven automatic. Right. The nature of my disability means that I need to rely on automatic transmission, a steering wheel, spinning knob, and then push-pull hand controls. Yes, I was going to say, so they're push-pull. Um, and with the Golf, was that the four-door or the two-door version? Uh, that was the four-door. I always go for four doors because... I, you know, if I'm having friends in the back, if I'm throwing my chair around, it's just that little bit of extra space inside. Yes. But you, you can see where I'm heading with this. How do you then, so the listener, we're going to have to get, we're going to get really creative <laughs> here. So how do you get from your wheelchair into the driving seat and stow the chair? Because most people that I've met tend to do the two-door vehicle thing, tip the seat forward and then pull the chair across. What's your preferred way of doing that? Yeah, I mean, I've never really struggled with it, I guess, because I've never had a two-door. I've always found it easy with the four-door. So I just, um, I mean, I jump on in, legs first, transfer myself across, then I so take my on the passenger. Off. you're getting on the passenger side, do you? No, I get in on the driver's side. Oh, okay, right, yep. Yep, always in on the driver's side. And then I take my cushion off, I put that on the passenger side. Then I take the two wheels off, they go in the back seat behind the passenger. Right. And then I collapse the chair, have a rigid frame chair. Mm-hmm. And I just pull that between... Myself and the steering wheel, I generally have my seat reclined quite far back. Right. So I can squeeze it in and put the chair on the passenger seat next to me. And then I rotate my seat back up into the normal driving position, close the door, start the engine, put on my seatbelt, and off I go. And so with practice, this takes a minute, two minutes to do, and you're ready to roll. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. And I mean, I was back, I was in rehab after my spinal injury back in the days where you spent a very long time in spinal rehab. Yeah. I was at Stoke Mandeville for 10 months after my injury, whereas now people are in and out much, much more quickly. Yes. So we weren't allowed to be discharged until we had proved that we were independent. So you had to prove you could do your transfers on your own, that you could do the in and out of the car, even if it was possibly with assistance with, you know, the good old standing transfer or sliding across on those buttboards that yeah. you would spend ages in woodwork buffing and sanding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't do to get splinters in your body, would it? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm assuming then that your spinal cord injury left you with sufficient strength in your arms and your upper body to do the kinds of things yes. you described. I mean, I am a very high-level injury, but I was very lucky that um, I do have full arm strength. Right. Sadly, okay. no stomach muscles. Um, so my core isn't great, but my arms are very right. strong. And what's the car you drive currently? <laughs> VW Golf. VW Golf. God, you're boring. So you it's, it's... Oh, no. There have been other things in between. I mean, there was there was a Renault Clio. There was a Saab ninety five. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I really, I was really stupid there. I, you get a bit carried away, and you're ordering the extras. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's totally oblivious to the fact that this was a lease. It was one of those things when, you know, when you're just young and a bit stupid and wanting to be really flash. Um, so I learned the hard way that that was really, really stupid way to behave when leasing a car. Um, and then there was Peugeot 205, um, a couple of Vauxhall Astras, um, 
so that ended badly. We won't go into that. <laughs> and then I went back to the VW Golf. Yeah. And do you use nowadays, are you a, a motability customer or are you buying them, you know, yourself? Yeah, no, I've always been a motability customer. You have done, right, okay. Yep. Um, I like, I like the, the fact that they take care of all the complicated stuff. Yes. Um, yes. I like the simplicity it gives me. And when I have had problems, for example, with the Astra, I encountered some really serious problems. Um, they let me terminate early right. and select another car. Right. Um, and then similarly, I was on a long wait for going from one Golf to another <laughs> in the past year. And there was a lot of delays with Volkswagen. And, you know, Mobility just kept renewing the insurance and take care, taking care of everything. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like that safety net they provide. Yes. So hand controls are the first thing out of the box. That's your very first gadget. And they're fitted nowadays, I'm guessing, before you get the vehicle, once you pick it up, yes. it's already on. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what about your second gadget or thing, the second thing that you re have come to rely on a lot? Um, the second one is a bit of a random one. It's a walking stick that has been in my household since I was a little girl. My dad put his back out at some point in the 80s and got himself a very fancy wooden, I don't know what kind of wood it is, but a very nice wood with a, um, not marble, some kind of stone swan head on the top right. of the walking stick. And when I was initially injured and we had our home renovated, I was in a bedroom that was the garage converted into a bedroom. And inevitably you find there are certain things you can't reach. Yes. So as a temporary fix, I realized with this stick, I could um, turn the TV on and off when I couldn't find the remote control. I could poke things on the ground and drag them over. I could kill spiders. <laughs> I could. Um, I had a sliding door on my bedroom. Mm -hmm. And as anybody with a spinal cord injury might appreciate, we have quite, fluctuate, quite fluctuating body temperatures. Yeah. Um, so I would go from having the heating on full blast, wanting to turn that off without getting out of bed, but with the stick, I could hit the buttons and turn it off. Then to drag a fan across the room, I could hook the stick around the wire drag the fan over to bed, turn the fan on. And I could also use the stick to open the sliding door in my bedroom. So it meant I could do a lot of really, really random things with ever getting out of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a walking stick, despite the fact that I you know, can't walk a step. Um, but it's been it's very, very, very useful. Yeah, I mean, yeah I, exactly. It's just one of those random things. I do remember many years ago, I had a friend... I had a friend who was um, a wheelchair user and he used the stick to do things like turn the lights on and stuff. And one day right. he asked his son to do it, his little boy. I don't know how old he was, but anyway, he said to him, could you go and turn the light on for me? And the little boy said, no, he couldn't. And when dad said to him, why not? He said, because I haven't got the stick. <laughs> never yeah. Seen, yeah, you know, it just become part of the anyway. Oh, exactly. Do you still you still have the stick, presumably? Yeah, I do. I still use it. I was using it last night to what well, I can't remember what I couldn't reach, but the stick was there. Fabulous. It was only when I moved to LA and I unfortunately broke my leg while I was there. That's a whole different story. But when they discharged me from the hospital and I went back to my apartment, 
they gave me a few different pieces of equipment and one of them was a grabber. Yeah. And that was the first time I'd ever actually used a grabber rather than relying on the stick. And I realized that they are pretty damn useful too. <laughs> so for our listeners, what we've got is we've got the possibility of a, a, a family heirloom, which can be used in all sorts of interesting ways. <laughs> and perhaps might be a better alternative is to get yourself a grabber, one of these stick things that picks stuff up for you and that kind of thing. What's yes, the they're slightly, third they're then? slightly more agile. Yes, absolutely. What about your third thing then, Shannon? What's um what's the, th- the final thing? The that third you... one um is a is an odd one. Well, I suppose it's not odd really if you're a wheelchair user. It's elevated toilet seats that I can travel with. Ah. Because I travel so much either for work or just for pleasure. I like travelling, but I do like going away on my own. When I go away for work, I'm going away on my own. And um, what can be a really risky situation is the height of toilet seats in different hotels. And they can vary wildly um, from being the same height as a wheelchair seat. But again, the the height of a wheelchair seat varies from person to person depending on their height anyway. So there is no standard height of that really. Um, And also a, a disabled toilet is going to be needed to be lower for a person of shorter stature, mm-hmm. but will need to be higher for a wheelchair user. Yeah. So I've often found myself in very risky situations where the toilet seat is much lower than my chair, which I can get down onto it, but getting off, yes. it can be nearly impossible without causing injury or risking very serious injury. Yeah. So I have one that's... Um, just kind of padded foam about an inch to two inches deep and I generally travel with that one quite a lot because I know that number one it'll provide padding because not all toilet seats are created equal and I don't want to risk getting a pressure sore and also I have another one that's about six inches deep um, which is much heavier but if I'm traveling by car or by train then I always pack that one. So with the with, so if I've got this right, these are not things that you inflate. They're not the inflatable type. No, no, so, not the inflatable ones. So you're having to fly with a toilet seat effectively in your luggage. Yeah. So there's one, the one that's kind of an inch to two inches thick. I'll just that is quite soft foam, right. so it's not great at providing height, but it's better than nothing. Yeah. Um. So I'll take that one. Um. The the denser, thicker one, I can only really take on UK travel. Right. Um, and I make sure to take that one. But then the problem is with that one being so high that if I go somewhere and the toilet seat is slightly raised but not quite enough for my chair, then I end up too high when I'm <laughs> sitting on the seat, which then gives different types of problems where yeah. you're kind of sitting there with your legs kind of tiptoes on the ground. Yeah. Um, but for me, the, the transferring to and from different height toilet seats is possibly the riskiest manoeuvre I do. Yeah, I know what you mean. I have a similar... And having broken my leg once before, it's not something I'd like to repeat because you're generally out of action for, you know, easily three to four months. Can you remember where you got these things from or are they pretty easy to find? They're pretty easy just by Googling. I mean, there's a wide variety out there. There's, There's soft ones, there's... Um, uh, firmer, hard plastic ones that screw on and off. But just by Googling uh, raised toilet seat, 
you generally find what you're looking for. Right. Um, it would just be, you know, depending on what you need, anything from £10 up to about 80 Right. And just a final thing with them, um, I kind of alluded to it a bit, but when you're packing, you've got your suitcase. I suppose in, in the UK where you're driving around, you, you can just lob it in the car. But if you're flying off to LA or something, do you have a uh, – how much room does it take up? Um, I mean, the big ones take up an awful lot of room. So when I moved to LA, I had to actually just order another one to have there. Have it out there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm going to have to uh, cross – that problem soon. I'm travelling away next month for work and I am going to be away for a little while and I suspect um, that the toilet seats will be quite low mm. where I'm going. Right. So I am going to have to figure out a way to pack the larger one even if it just gets a suitcase of its own. Yeah. They do make carry bags now for toilet seats. That's helpful. Um, but it's not really the kind of thing that you put on an airline. No. <laughs> I think it's going to need a small case of its own. How about this as an idea? Have you th- now, come on, you're a frequent flyer, right? So how about <laughs> instead of getting one of those inflatable things that go around your neck to help you, you put your toilet seat around your neck. Fly, would, that, would that have any appeal? I'm not quite sure that's the message I'd like to be sending to other passengers. <laughs> Perhaps not. Perhaps not. Well, look, that's... That's really, that's brilliant. What a great place to end. Shannon, what can I say? But thank you so much for your time and for, for sharing those things with us. And I'm, I'm hoping that our listeners will find some of what you said. I mean, little things like how you transfer, those kinds of things that might be very useful to somebody who's listening to us. I hope so. Anyway. I hope so. I mean, sometimes I even find I need a little bit of inspiration and look at a couple of other people's YouTube videos yeah. when I'm getting stuck on tricky transfers. Yeah. So there is so much more information out there than there was when we initially entered this world. <laughs> indeed, indeed. We've come a long way. Well, Shannon, thank you so much. It's been a real thank joy you for having and me. pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you're a disabled person and want to appear on the show so that you can share your thoughts and ideas about the gear, gadgets and gizmos you use, please drop me a line. My email address is brinkburn at gmail.com or you can call Chris Lofthouse at RIDC on 020-7427-2460. And thank you once again for listening.